Hey folks, it's Mo Amir. This episode of This is Van Color was recorded at Henry's in Vancouver, 555 West Broadway. Henry's just opened up a community podcast space that is open to the public, and they asked me to be their first official recording. Everyone at Henry's was so friendly and accommodating, and their space is super cool and comfy. There's a couch there even. So please do check out Henry's in Vancouver, 555 West Broadway, if you are interested in podcasting, because they make it super easy. They also have a ton of audio gear and knowledgeable folks there. They helped me upgrade my home setup, and of course I know Henry's is known as Canada's greatest camera store for you shutterbugs, but now they're becoming the place to go to for your audio gear as well, and if you're looking for a great, comfy podcast space, please do check them out, Henry's at 555 West Broadway in Vancouver. Another quick note, this episode deals with very personal stories about residential schools, child abuse, genocide, and violence against Indigenous peoples. If you're not in the headspace to listen to that right now, give this episode a pass or check out the archive for something else. My guests, Sisters Sage, were gracious enough to open up their hearts and stories in a very vulnerable way. They knew the discussion topics ahead of time, but it still is a very difficult listen at times. Nevertheless, it's a very important listen, if you're open to it, of course. Thanks so much, and now, on to the show. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I'm joined by Sisters, a first for the podcast. They are the co-founders of Sisters Sage, an indigenous brand that handcrafts wellness and self-care products inspired by their indigenous culture and traditions. We're talking about soaps, smokeless smudge sprays, and bath bombs. Sisters Sage is an eco-friendly, sustainable, and socially conscious enterprise that creates their beautiful products in reusable or biodegradable materials. They inspire indigenous youth and female entrepreneurship, and they're very outspoken on a variety of social issues, which is why they're here. Follow them on Instagram, where they inspire 25,000 followers. They are Sisters Sage. They are Lynn Marie and Melissa Ray Angus. Lynn Marie, Melissa Ray, how are you? Awesome. <laughs> Hi, Mo. Hi. Oh my gosh, so happy to be here. That was an amazing introduction. Because I'm stoked to see you girls. I'm so happy that we could finally do this. I know we've kind of gone back and forth on, yeah. on DM a little bit. And I think the timing for this chat is absolutely perfect. So thank you for taking time away from your incredible business. And I would just love for you... Lynn, I know I know you've done this a few times. I would love for you to properly introduce yourself. And so the space is here for you to do mm-hmm. so. Thank you. Why um, why? Lynn Angus, Adakut Bam Yao, Bewayu, Gitgatla, Ada Nishka, Ada Meti, Ada Sodokri, Diwawaku, Lakibu, Diwopadegu. Um, hello, my name is Lynn Marie Angus. Uh, my traditional name is Kuit Bam Yao. And I come from the Gitgatla, Nishka, Cree, and Soto Cree and Metis Nations. Um, and we also come from the Lucky Boo clan. This is my sister, Melissa Ray Angus. Melissa, what's your traditional name? Uh, I am Hok Mamomak. What does it mean? It means I'm always joyful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you may have to edit out some of her like loud laughing. <laughs> that stays in. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> that was so beautiful. Thank you so much. And I, I appreciate that. Why is that important for you to do? Because I've, I've heard you in the past do that in other interviews. And I wanted you, before you imposed, I was like, no, no, you have to do it. So why is that important for you to do it? Well, thank you for um, offering me the platform to be able to speak my traditional language. Um, There's so many different reasons why it's important. Um, The first I'm going to say is that it's a a deeper connection between us and our ancestors. Mm -hmm. And when I speak even a single word of my language, which is actually called Somaliach, and it comes from uh, the north coast of British Columbia, uh, on my father's side. Um, 
when we speak even a single word of our language, our ancestors hear it mm. and we're connected to them. They are and proud. They are proud. Yeah. And so the reason we, we speak, like I'm not fluent in it, right? Neither is Melissa. My dad, um, he spoke some of his language to us, but uh, not a lot. And there's many reasons for that. So our, our language was definitely, it's a dying language and it was taken away from us uh, through you know, residential camps and our, um, our ancestors being shamed and having our cultures. Uh, this is getting really deep real quick. <laughs> this is what we do and I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a take back. It's a, I, it, even just learning a little bit in an introduction for myself and locating myself and my, my people and my name and my, my clan is really important. Uh, did I say that? We come from the wolf clan? Yeah. yeah. So that's both of our, our names, mine you being said Lucky Boo. Lucky Boo. Not yeah. explain it was our wolf. That's, we're wolf clan. So my name it. is uh, Meow, And um, it means the wolf who goes ahead for food. Okay. And so I'm like a caretaker, like a mother wolf. Mm. And Melissa's, yeah, like she said, it's the, like the laughing wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. And I, I love the idea of rituals. And again, like you said, even if you're not fluent in the language, but starting something off with that yeah, ritualistic experience. Exactly. And so you know cool. what? For us to be able to speak even just a tiny little bit of it, it I think it really helps to inspire other folks to, you know, do a, a jump into learning about their language and maybe beginning to introduce themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I appreciate both of you being here. We have discussed the topics ahead of time. And I just want to say that I know that this conversation might involve, probably will involve some emotional labor. We've already kind of mm -hmm. gotten a little heavy already. I'm not even going to lie. There's probably going to be tears. <laughs> And, just laughing in tears. And they're welcome here as long as you're comfortable, of course. I appreciate you both putting yourselves out there because I think these conversations are really important. And there might be segments of my audience who are approaching a lot of these issues for the mm -hmm. first time. It's been a heavy year, <laughs> to say the least. And when we look at the revelations of the unmarked graves of an estimated 215 children, Indigenous children, at the site of a former residential school in Kamloops, I feel like the public Canadian consciousness on this country's relationships with Indigenous peoples has been blown wide open. A lot of people were hearing about Indigenous schools for the first time, shockingly. And there certainly was a, a collective mourning, uh, an anger, a sadness, just a realization that maybe we should rethink our national identity or how we see ourselves as Canadians mm -hmm. so as to not whitewash the, the history of this land and the systemic issues of marginalizing certain people, of course, most notably Indigenous folks. I was on a panel on CBC Radio the first time that I heard of this idea to cancel Canada Day, at least for this year. Mm -hmm. And... You know, the next week I was asked for my real-time reaction when the news came out that Victoria was in fact going to cancel their Canada Day celebrations. And honestly, I'm not opposed to the idea given what I've heard, but I want to hear it from both of you. Why should we cancel Canada Day? Mm -hmm. This is, it's so deep, right? This is just like such a deep question to ask us and anybody. Um, and before I jump into it, I think that I want to backpedal a little bit and say, um, you know, thank you for recognizing and acknowledging that this is emotional labor for us. Um, and it's something that we really had to think really hard on if we wanted to come and do this um, and have this discussion because like Melissa even said, she's like, there's gonna be some tears. Um, and I woke up this morning just, oh, this is gonna be a heavy, heavy day. Uh, but it's very important to, you know, give our, give our experience um, our Indigenous worldview, our reasons why we want um, or we're in support of Cancelling Canada Day. And so our, our older sister, Christina, we spoke, I spoke with her yesterday and told her about my concerns about how 
first of all, that I didn't think, you know, that I was uh, any kind of authority or on indigeneity or, you know, I didn't have all the statistics or I couldn't quote you word for word something from the Indian Act. Um, and she told me and she's she's so wise. <laughs> she's like, she's like, you know what? People can go out there and Google these resources and you don't have to. These are these are things that have been told time and time again and, and that everybody it's out there. Everybody knows about it. And so what you need to do is go in there and tell them your experiences and explain your Exactly. Experiences with racism and um, let the people hear it from our voices and hear mm -hmm. the pain. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so I think she would, by my older sister telling me these things, she kind of really calmed my fears about, I don't know, my, I guess, imposter like syndrome where I'm like, I'm not good enough and I can't do this, um, which is also like a colonial construct helped you know, made, made to keep us meek and weak. Um, so yeah, my, my voice is important. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. I deserve a seat at this table. Um, and thank you for giving it to us. And so, um, gosh, where do I even start? Melissa, do you celebrate Canada Day? No. Have, have you in the past? Uh, when I was younger, a lot younger, mm -hmm. um, I grew up uh, being taught that Canada is just this wonderful place and all mm -hmm. other countries adore us because we're such loving and compassionate <laughs> and amazing people as a whole. And then actually, like... Your lived experience like, is that different, real, Yeah, like realizing, you know, my my father's hurts and my uncle's mm -hmm. and my aunt's hurts are, are because of a specific reason, is because of what Canada has actually been built upon. Mm -hmm. And it's... When do you think you stop celebrating? Uh, I'm going to say maybe 12 years ago. When yeah? I actually... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So for myself, I think... Um, I don't. I don't celebrate Canada no. Day. Did you ever, like, when you were younger? So when I like definitely when I was younger, like Melissa and I went to school mm. in Winnipeg, Manitoba, when we were very young, and mm. in this school, um, gosh, I'm going to be dating myself now. I guess but, um, <laughs> if we I would have you. to sing the national anthem yeah. and the Lord's Prayer every single day before <sighs> right. school, and you stand up and you sing and you pray, um, and then when we moved. Um, to the West Coast, to Vancouver, where we were actually born. Um, it wasn't so much that, but I think that I, I was probably about eight years old when I realized that this was some kind of a farce or a sham <laughs> that we're, we had to do this. And so I stopped standing up and I stopped singing. I made a point to be like, I'm sitting down, I'm not singing. And my friends would be like, hey, hey, you have to stand up. No, I'm not going to. I don't I'm making have a stand. To. I don't have to. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I was, I was really, really young. And when I made my decision. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is nothing new to us, right? It's just now it's, it's becoming a conversation in the larger uh, general public. It's just more in front of the media now, I think. Mm, yeah. 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 And so, so and no. so I was just going to say, so explain it to the, the general public, why you didn't celebrate it in the past. I mean, you've obviously mm -hmm. touched on some, some of mm. uh, the issues, but just Definitely. someone who doesn't know. So for for this year, I think that a lot of people, um, there's a lot of support for the Council Canada Day this this year because of the uh, discovery slash confirmation of the 215 Indigenous children at the um, Kamloops, the Sikhwamit Indian Residential School in Kamloops, British Columbia. And I think that was really the catalyst for this movement. Um, and I know that here in Vancouver, there's um, an Indigenous activist by the name of Dakota Bear who's really spurring this movement. And, um, you know, there's going to be Cancel Canada Day, quote unquote, celebrations at uh, the Vancouver Art Gallery. Um, and I'm about it. I'll be there for sure. Um, but it, if you go like even further into this, there's just like uh, just so many reasons why we shouldn't be celebrating Canada Day. Uh, at least, in, and this is our perspective, um, everybody else can make their own decision up, right? But of yeah. course, this is just our experience um, and why we're supporting it. Um, God, this is going to be so heavy and deep. And like, okay, so never mind just like the residential camps and the, the discovery of children. Our father, like Melissa had mentioned, um, our dad and our aunties and our uncles, they, and sisters, his sisters and brothers, they all went to residential, Indian Day residential schools. Um, they were all forced 
for I can't get into like all of the the, the it's, details. It's some, it's some but brutal. Yeah, sexual harass or sexual assaults and scientific uh, research, research, you know, and yeah. <laughs> violence. Um, yeah. And it's all of just having their culture being stripped away from them. Um, this is what intergenerational trauma is, and Melissa and I are definitely living it, and we're fighting it mm-hmm. because all of our indigenous wellness um, that is supposed to come for our, our parents, they weren't, it, it wasn't passed down to us because it was taken away from them. And that goes again with speaking our language, right? And that's why I'm, I'm trying really hard to speak my language. Um, something that I really want to mention though, with all of these um, like social media posts and how everybody, uh, allies and accomplices have been posting about uh, you know, orange shirt day and um, pictures of residential schools. Um, there's this one in particular that was just so like, just, just hit me to my core. Um, and it was shared so many times. Um, and it was a, a list. It was a name, names of all of these children who were, never came home. They didn't come home from their residential schools. And the top of the list, number one was, and I'm going to, I, I had struggled about saying her name, but I'm going to say her name. And it was my auntie, Vicki Stewart. Yeah, top of the list, number one. And you know what it did? This list, it uh, described how she was abused um, and how she died. And she was nine years old. Um, And so when I saw that right away, it's like my heart sank. Um, I called up my aunties and my uncles just to gently talk to them about it. And my auntie was, um, you know, she she was all of a sudden she had to deal with a a trauma uh, in the public eye and learn about her sister and her um, the reason why she didn't come home on social media. And then I talked to my uncle about it and we did a FaceTime and my uncle's still in our village in Kakala, BC. And, uh, he cried with me and he told me that it's the truth. Yeah. It's the truth and it has to come out. So it was really, really, really heavy, really deep. Um, I can't even imagine what our, our uncles and our aunties mm-hmm. and everybody back home are feeling like, the way that I'm feeling now. Yeah. And every single day. Like, it's just, it's so insanely overwhelming just to try to navigate through all of this ongoing trauma. And, I, you know, I also want to uh, acknowledge the, like, the success of children who were found at the, by the Dakota Sioux in Brandon, Manitoba, where actually our, our other sister is a, a school teacher. Um, and it's just it's too difficult to actually like click and open up all of these other news stories because mm. I'm still still dealing with 215 over yeah. here. And you just give me less than a week. And now there's all these other schools, like four other schools. And the numbers are up to 500. And I know that this this summer it's going to be rough. And we're just yeah. here trying to really guard our hearts and, you know, keep practicing our self-care and keep moving forward and living our lives, but doing it in a good and honorable way and still amplifying these voices um, and canceling Canada Day. Uh, so it's it's been it's been really difficult. Um, I don't know, Melissa, if you've looked at any of those other numbers, but I just can't. Like I, I, I don't actually, have the will to do it at this moment. <laughs> I really haven't. Yeah. Um, I don't have the emotional. I haven't taken the time to even look. I mean, yeah. Thinking about, um, you know, the youngest so far that mm-hmm. they found in Kamloops is three years old, mm-hmm. and you know, my son is going to be three. Mm-hmm this year and I can't even Mm -hmm. imagine you know an Indian agent coming and tearing down my door and ripping this sweet little innocent child from my arms Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I appreciate you sharing you know such personal experience and stories from from your family it's like one of those things you know when when you see that phrase truth before reconciliation you mm-hmm. see it as as a settler as an immigrant you know it doesn't really hit home and then when you realize what's quite literally buried under this land mm-hmm. you realize that like oh wow i grew up with a totally different narrative mm-hmm. of what canada is <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's a true. Lot of people have, yeah. it, and I think it's our responsibility right now. While we're seeing 
everything unfold. And I think it's our it's our it's our duty to actually look into the the, the truth of it all and see what horrific things these our our people have gone through. You know, I think yes, Melissa, you're right that it is it's our responsibility, but it's also I think. Um, the general public's responsibility. Absolutely, that's, that's yeah. what I meant as a whole, as a whole mm-hmm. community. Not definitely, some the Americans, everybody on Turtle Island. Yeah, and you I know? think this is like what most was. Uh, talking about when he talked about emotional labor and how it's you know we look at us right now we're like crumpling because this is this topic this conversation is just so hard to deal with (laughs) this is emotional labor and it's emotionally taxing and after this what am I going to do right like um, just (laughs) go Go and eat chocolate and watch RuPaul's Drag Race (laughs) (laughs) go home and have my babies exactly Um, and so I think it's it's a, a call to action definitely for um Canadians, allies, and accomplices, and colonizers, and settlers to go out and do this homework and do your do your own research. And Google is your best friend. Yeah. And definitely be like walk gently and be sensitive with Indigenous folks mm-hmm. right now because um, you, you know what we may look like we're thriving and <laughs> and you know getting along but this is you know generally we are just like a, look at Melissa just laughing all the time like we're just a happy <laughs> type of people but you know deep down we're, we are dealing with our, our traumas yeah. intergenerational traumas and ongoing traumas right now of the ongoing genocide that's happening on our lands um, and I mean if we want to continue talking about genocide and another reason why we should cancel Canada <laughs> Um, we can talk about, you know, like forced sterilizations, um, forced IUDs, the IUDs, Melissa, yes, Melissa, like, okay, forced forced sterilizations is not long ago. I mean, we're talking about 2018 forced IUDs is still happening. Yeah. Yeah. So like one week before the 20, 2015 confirmation, um, uh, the lawyer Breen Ouellette, he had broke the news about, um, young indigenous girls, I think as young as nine years old, being forced uh, IUDs um, and because they were in foster care and at risk of uh, sexual assault by their caregivers. And so that is just Which like, is like, I mean, the logic is like, if they're at risk, then don't put them there. Don't put them there. Yeah. Right? How, Make sure you look into the people. Your homes. duty is to keep yeah. children safe. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to, I just want to go back to this idea of Canada mm-hmm. Day and, and the cancellation of it because you know, you hear these stories and, and I came to the personal realization of like, I never learned about this stuff mm-hmm. in school. And even the the baseline knowledge that I did develop after school was not to the extent of what's out there. And I almost feel like as a Canadian, I failed in recognizing my own country's history mm-hmm. with with all of this. And you know, we, you know what though? I didn't learn about this in high school either. I didn't learn about this. We learned about this from our family. It's just something that we knew, yeah. but definitely like, yeah, this isn't it wasn't that, in the curriculum. There was, it was, was not in textbooks. It was no, no and that's yeah, definitely what most saying. Like But there is a like a public reckoning that's needed, right? Like I think the Canadian consciousness has to recognize mm-hmm. that this is part Absolutely. of what's happened on this land and that we can't you know Canada has been a great place for a lot of people, but we can't ignore mm-hmm. the injustices, the genocide mm-hmm. that has occurred here. Definitely. And to just celebrate Canada Day because, oh, we're a great country and we like hockey and do well in the winter or whatever. It's, it's such a lie. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, it just it almost just seems like propaganda by the state. You know, <laughs> like let's <laughs> wear our red and white and have these little flags and like march in the streets. Like, why? You're marching on dead children. My my worry, and I and I said this on CBC as well. It's like my worry is that we're in this moment, but it's just going to be washed away because you have Canada Day, and then you have the yeah. next thing, and then yeah. we kind of forget about exactly all of this, it, right? It, yeah, it's almost like a fad. You know, if you look out there right now, and the uh, orange T-shirts, like you can go and buy them. London drugs. I told Lynn yesterday I saw them in London drugs. But you know what? London drugs may be supporting an indigenous business. I'm not sure, but anyways, like I've seen posts about in Europe selling oh, orange right. T-shirts. Like it's just a fad. Mm. It's a cash grab. It's a capitalistic. Um, 
a movement to just to, to make money off of uh, our traumas and our pain. Um, and it's disgusting and profiting off of it is just um, so immoral. And definitely it's like, it's it just seems that as soon as Canada Day happens, then what, what's the next thing and the next thing? And we're just going to be shuffled along again. Yeah. Um, but maybe if we actually can, can make this a, a real movement along by canceling Canada Day, um, you know, maybe it can be something that is remembered and goes forward yeah. into the next years. And maybe it just organically iterates into something different where Canada celebrating Canada Day becomes something else. And maybe we celebrate the original people from these lands now, now, now known as Canada. Mm-hmm. Lynn Marie, I believe you actually had a conversation with the mayor of Vancouver. You are correct. About this issue about canceling Canada Day. How did this come about and, and what did you say to him? Yeah. Um, get ready. Let me have a little discussion with you right now. So this was like a week ago, uh, last Friday. Yeah, I was invited. Um, I received an email and it was inviting indigenous leaders from the community. And I was like, whoa, oh, I'm an indigenous leader. Neat. <laughs> <laughs> You um, both are. You should, there, you should actually embrace that. Just leaders. You know, you don't even need the indigenous <laughs> yeah, priests. Right, leaders. yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so I agreed, of course. And I went and there was a, it was a Zoom meeting. Um, and it was a panel of, um, I don't know, maybe like eight other indigenous folks from the community. And the questions really were, what can the mayor's office do to uh, make things better for indigenous people in the short term and in the long term and he gave us one hour <laughs> i was like like just scribbling my list like <laughs> Lynn, Lynn's sitting there and she's like what is this an hour i could talk for seven <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so the top of my list was like um we need to plan another meeting because there's an hour like you can give me an hour and then you have eight other people here um and there's just not enough time um so anyways, the, I think the second thing on my list was to um, cancel Canada Day. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, it's been something on my my mind for, for a while. And his response was that uh, the city of Vancouver doesn't actually promote or fund any kind of celebrations for Canada Day anyway. So next on the agenda. Um, and I told him not good enough. Um, you can lower your flags and make your staff wear orange all you want, but it's not really going to do anything. And I, I, what we need is a, uh, a public statement um, sharing and showing and declaring your support for what's going on in um, Indian country and in Canada country. And um, what was his response to that? I think his note taker took some notes. <laughs> You didn't hear directly from him? No, it was basically, he was, he was there. He Mm -hmm. was at the meeting, but he was, yeah, he didn't really respond to that. Um, But I want to talk a little bit more about the other, like, demands. (laughs) They were not not my demands. They were maybe like some gentle suggestions. Um, I mean, I guess I I came in kind of (laughs) hot, but he, uh, so the other ones was, yeah, Council Canada Day. Um, A huge one also was tax the churches. And this is something that he was actually seemed genuinely receptive to. Um, And uh, the other panelists who spoke after me also agreed, yeah, tax the churches. Um, And so he said that he would look into it and look at uh, into the amount of money that the churches don't pay for property taxes and that perhaps he can look into. That's um, probably a substantial amount. I'm quite sure. They're on some nice real estate in the city of Vancouver. And so they... um, he suggested that maybe he could redirect those funds to um, the other indigenous um, uh, uh, societies and uh, things that I had mentioned where the money could be going. And I was like, yes, heck yes. Like, this is exactly what reconciliation is. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what reparations is. Take the money from the church and give it to the indigenous folks. <laughs> um, and so we'll see what, what happens with that. Um, Did you find him in his office generally receptive did you find them that they could be allies or was this as we all i'm not accusing mayor kennedy stewart of doing this Mm -hmm. but oftentimes with a lot of politicians they'll listen and then they just of course forget right so what was your read on him i felt like i said i felt that it was genuine for the tax the churches for the uh council canada day i felt that it was just kind of like brushed to the side and maybe he was just doing his due diligence to have some sort of indigenous um consultation 
but we'll see if there's any, you know, tangible uh, outcomes of this. Another thing that I had suggested was that um, our Indigenous youth need a a safe space to go because a lot of our youth suffer from um, drug abuse and suicide and running away and abuse and, you know, homelessness and um, hunger and poverty and all of these different things. And we need a safe space where they can go and access um, elders and elder support. Uh, they can access food and access housing, and it that's, needs to that's be void really, of police. Yeah, that's um, a really big one. Yeah, um, and so that one he seemed receptive to as well. So I'm I cut you off. Yeah, it's a really big one. Like uh, the homelessness within the youth. I myself was homeless up until I was eight months pregnant with my son. And this is um, like I had left the place that I was in when I found out I was pregnant because it was just riddled with cockroaches and rats in the the walls and mold and Mm -hmm. I had a decent paying job and my partner had a decent paying job and I was thinking hey yeah we can get a place right away but I was homeless until I was eight months pregnant so I'm sleeping on couches and floors while being super huge yeah they're just the homelessness crisis in Vancouver is very real I Um, myself also like lived in a car so we both experience homelessness and and a lot of that is indigenous peoples because they need to get out of places Mm -hmm. get into safe spaces or maybe they're discriminated against because hey that's a a pregnant indian yeah and maybe we don't want to rent to her yeah yeah that was like tattoos and right (laughs) hair at the time too yeah Yeah. but that that doesn't really um evoke pride to be canadian no and, and so let's talk about that because, again, my lived experience is as an immigrant. My parents immigrated here when I was four. Certainly, my family flourished and mm-hmm. worked hard, and they take a certain pride in this country right. as the way it is and as they learned about the country. Obviously, we're learning a lot more. What would you say to someone who says they do want to celebrate Canada Day? And I'm not talking about someone you know, some right-wing figure who's antagonistic towards Indigenous peoples. I'm talking about, you know, someone like mm-hmm. perhaps me or, or, or my family that that they came from another country. Maybe they face systemic discrimination here, but they're still happy and proud to be Canadian and, and they still want to celebrate mm-hmm. that. What would you say to people like that who, again, yeah. are not antagonistic? Yeah. Is, is, I, is this on top of them already knowing what has just come about in this last year and they were still wanting to you know what everybody can make their own decision of course everybody has their own choice um and this is something that i really thought about um you know in my in my efforts to support the council canada day um my our mom's dad was uh, a fighter. He fought. He was a bombardier in the in World War II. And so there's I understand that there's a lot of indigenous folks out there who are active in service and who they're, they're like we we fight for our country and we are celebrating Canada Day. Mm. And you know there's a lot of Im- immigrants who come here from war-torn countries and they're like this is like this is our our safe haven and uh, we want to celebrate. Um and to those people, you know, my heart goes out to them and they can again like make their choice. Yeah. To, to do what they want. And I, I think that's fair enough to, to celebrate Canada Day. But go ahead and do it and go forward and do it in a knowledgeable, educated um, and gentle, sensitive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the other one that you're saying about the left wing, you know, uh, crazies who are like, we're out there going to drink beer and um, get all rowdy and Yahoo for Canada Day. Canadian. Like, I just stay over there then. <laughs> 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 no, that's fair. And, I, and Melissa, uh, um, I thought you brought up an interesting point because it is, as we sort of touched on, it is about truth and knowledge and understanding what we're celebrating. I mean, even just stepping back and saying, okay, what are we celebrating? Are we celebrating our success or our family's success or refuge in this land, which a lot of people have enjoyed? Yeah, absolutely. Or are we celebrating the state of Canada in its entirety? And if the latter is the case, then perhaps maybe we should re-examine Canada a, as a state, a couple, right? Take a couple steps back and and take a, a deeper look. Yeah, and look at look at the broader the broader image, you know. Yeah, on what's actually like look at what it's stand, standing upon. 
you know, there's so many, so many little tiny bottles, bodies in the ground. And there's so mm-hmm. many, so many hurt individuals out there who has, you know, and like what they have gone through, they have gone through the life of trying to forget what they've gone through. Mm-hmm. So that ends up in, you know, turning to the bottle and becoming addicted to all sorts of drugs. And in that is them not knowing how to process all of that. And then they're putting that upon their next generation, their children. They're putting that onto their children. Mm-hmm. And I was always told growing up, it's going to take seven generations for our people to fully heal and get past. And we're only in, what, the third or fourth mm-hmm. generation. There is so much more healing so that much our healing people to need do. to do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's... It's a little disheartening to see. I mean, Lynn and I went to go drop off a whole bunch of uh, Sister Sage products to the women's show, uh, to the women's group downtown. Yeah, but we we just actually came from the downtown Eastside Women's Center where we donated I think two thousand five hundred dollars worth of Sister Sage products. They had they offered to purchase products from us because they were supporting their indigenous um, uh, the indigenous women who who use their their facilities um they're putting together bags and so we're like no we're not going to take your money but yeah. we're going to donate this stuff to you um and so for the 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 i think it's like 50 percent of the population in the downtown east side is uh, is indigenous and, and that's what that's what i was getting to is like so the, our, our our ancestors who have gone to the residential school and who has lived through that hurt they they're they're just putting it onto their children and that and and those are those elders are putting it and then it's coming down to Lynn and I. Yeah. And and we are making the change now and we, and hopefully we are able to inspire our our next generations to to do better. Yes, we've been through this hurt. But you know what? We also have Takashla on our side. We have the creator, we have our medicines, we are relearning. Um, we are going to heal, and we, Lynn and I, are this generation that are going to mm-hmm. We're change the changing. We're change makers. Yeah, definitely. Melissa, mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. No. Melissa said she was going to be quiet. That was quite I'm, still, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still super nervous on the inside. But no, like, this is a subject that really... Mm-hmm. As a mom, too. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. My children will not go through what... Melissa's a cycle breaker. My my children will not go through what Lynn and I went through or what my parents have gone through. Mm-hmm. You know, I refuse to let that happen. And they are going to grow up with the knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point, like, when we talk about the state's responsibility in all of these things... It does come back to now the state also has a responsibility, bare minimum, to acknowledge all of bare this. Minimum. And not only to acknowledge it, but to teach it to the the, the other people that are here, the non-Indigenous folks that are here yeah. in terms of what happened. And that, to me, kind of resonates with, like, that's the strongest argument for me for canceling candidate out of any year this year, having it a day of mourning and a day of meditation for the other mm-hmm. non-Indigenous folks, non-Indigenous folks on this land to sort of understand, like, you know, the Canadian national identity is is kind of fake. It's kind of whitewashed. Yeah. And we need to recognize the history because I don't think, I don't think it takes away from, like I said, the refuge that Canada has provided or the opportunities that Canada has provided for other people. It doesn't take, doesn't necessarily take away from that. We still have to learn about this, understand that how how this country was built. Definitely. But I mean, this is something that a lot of people always speak about. It's like, oh, this is in the past. This is the history. This is in like 100 years ago. 1996. I think I I call bullshit because I was born in 1984. Mm -hmm. Right. And the last residential school closed in 1996. And but out of out of this, like in a different context, text also if you look into Quebec and the bill 21 is it um with the uh and the the just recent murder of the Islam mm-hmm. uh, the Muslim family mm-hmm. uh, these these are the kind of legislations that are still happening in this country that are discriminatory and racist and essentially are the reason why a lot of folks 
are suffering today. And so this, I mean, there's another reason why we should cancel Canada Day. Like, can we just have like some national mourning for just all of the shit that everybody's going through right now? Yeah. Yeah. It's a fair question. And it makes a lot of sense to me. When we talk about this idea of emotional labor, and I think you did a really good job in sort of explaining like, this is a sensitive time for a lot of people check in with the indigenous people in your life, but don't burden them with having to explain everything when you can just Google and there, there are resources out there where I get curious. And I think sort of the difficulty in in navigating a lot of this is you want to amplify indigenous voices to tell their stories, but at the same time, you don't want to overburden them with emotional labor. And this is why even in arranging this interview, you know, I was very careful and I I wanted to go over some of the topics how do we achieve that balance of, of amplifying voices, getting that personal story in addition to the data and, mm-hmm. and everything that's already out there? Yeah, I feel like there's um, a lot of ways that we can do it. Um, one way is exactly this. What you're doing right now is creating space for Indigenous folks to use their voice, at literally making a table and a space at the table for them. Um, and I know, yeah, it is definitely hard for uh, people for us in our emotional labor, but um, a lot of us, we're going to dig deep and we're going to be like, this is really important um, work that we have to do. So creating space for Indigenous people is very important. I think a huge um, a huge thing that happens is it, a lot of information is dispelled on social media. Um, at, you know, that's where Melissa and I use a lot of our... Um, we use our social media platform to get a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. And so sharing those voices is really, really important because I think I, I prefaced everything with like, I'm not the um, authority on in anything indigenous. I just speak from my own experiences. And so there's um, hundreds and thousands of people across Turtle Island that you can go and like learn about um, on TikTok. TikTok is huge. If you go and hashtag res talk or native TikTok right now, okay. you're going to learn some stuff and then you're going to get stuck in native TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's going to be. Um, I also want to throw out there. JB, the first lady. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Who's JB, the first lady? Melissa and oh, I went to... We, JB. We went to Britannia High School. And um, when we went there... So we came out of Britannia. Also, Gerilyn Webster came out of Britannia. Um, and then two other girls, uh, Danny and Lizzie, came out yeah. of Britannia. And I feel like we're all, like, indigenous royalty. <laughs> <laughs> so Gerilyn, she's um, JB, the first lady. And she's, like, a MC, And she's a recording artist. And... Um, uh, Poka, hey. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and Danny and Lizzie, too, they're... Um, kind of popular yeah they're really into like the hip-hop industry but they also uh, speak a whole whack upon our uh, our issues that we're having mm-hmm. yeah. our indigenous issues and they have a lot their voice are so powerful and amazing mm-hmm. uh, those yeah. girls yeah so those are like some activists that you can check out um, yeah. who are really just fight fighting the good fight for us indigenous people so let's talk about a, a little bit of that the activism and, and calling out because I'm always fascinated about call out culture and how people call out and how they mm-hmm. are, are received that way. You're not afraid to call people on their shit when in particular. You had this moment in December where you called out Kid Carson on Z95.3 for victim shaming. You emailed the station. You didn't get a response. Yeah. Then you used your platform, you used Instagram, where you have 25,000 followers, to, to call this out and to call out something that he said. It caught his attention. And to his credit, he invited you on the show mm-hmm. and he admitted his mistake. And I listened to that segment and it was kind of beautiful because I think, you know, people see call out culture or, you know, the cancel culture or whatever, and they and they get defensive. But I think in his to his credit, he seemed to actually reflect on what you were saying. And I think he really did yeah. take it to heart. And that almost seemed to be like this healthy 
way to go about it, right? He was accepting of the criticism. You know, it was really great. You're right. This was like a healthy (laughs) go to, um, like you say, cancel culture. Uh, I think it was a really good um, example that maybe others can emulate that, hey, you're doing something wrong. Hey, you're right. I didn't realize it. I didn't see it that way. Um, I admit my mistake and commit to being better and doing better in the future. That That's simple, right? Um, and I also want to acknowledge that you said cancel culture. And, um, <sighs> and I was thinking about this term earlier today about cancel culture and how uh, people just throw this around. I'm like, you know who the original people who invented cancel culture is like the government of Canada. Yeah. Um, it's called genocide. Yeah. Like we, they are literally canceling our culture. Yeah. So um, I, I wrote an op-ed on how cancel culture, the way that these talking heads see it, is a grift. I don't actually think it's real. <laughs> but what you're talking about, when you're talking about genocide or cultural genocide, absolutely. It's like actually that canceling is culture. Cancel culture. Yeah. But I thought you were actually really graceful on that show as well because you weren't demonizing kid. Mm-hmm. He gave you space and you explained to him what your concerns were in terms of this joke that he mm-hmm. made. And I actually like that because there's one thing to call someone out. And then sometimes I find like the call out, the people who are doing the calling out, they almost go too overboard. They don't like take a breath and actually explain like, here's why, here's why this is problematic. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for recognizing that. I, um, I want to mention, you know, first of all, I did message them privately and I Mm -hmm. um, had to let them know how hurtful and upset their comments had made me and then there was no response and you keep saying 25,000 I'm like we didn't have 25,000 then and maybe we it's still pretty good but I didn't honestly I didn't expect to receive that kind of response and it really really blew up and I think that um you know on Instagram our demographic is mainly female like millennials yeah. and I think they felt the same way I did yeah. and so they just they amplified our voice and they shared the heck out of it and all of a sudden Kid Carson was being tagged <laughs> over and over <laughs> and he sent me a message and he's like oh my gosh I'm being tagged so many times like my phone is blowing up <laughs> and it's hard right because people fuck up people make mistakes yeah. and to make that space to like have a conversation of like that wasn't cool what you said, or or maybe you should rephrase that next time, I thought was actually handled in a really healthy way. And that's the way we should be talking yeah. about things. Instead, we're fighting over each other of, oh, this is cancel culture and this is this. And it's like, let's just yeah, talk it, to each other. Exactly. In, in my opinion, it's like, yeah, you can fuck up and, and make mistakes. But you know what? I feel like they're all just mini... Um, there's, they're all something to celebrate because you you mess up and then you you re, you get to redo it and you get to learn something and then you get to be a better person in the uh, in the end. Yeah. Um. And so it's not something to to just be <laughs> be be so hard on yourself about. You just ha- handle it with grace and then you learn and you move on and you do better. And unfortunately, not everyone does this. There was another example yeah. which I think might have taken the opposite. Uh, yeah, I did. Effects for sure. It was in January with Chewy's Oyster Bar and they posted (laughs) something on Instagram about Saturdays are for the boys and can we get a couple of quote skinny bitches to the bar which is a really weird corporate message from any company you girls called it out and they took it in a really weird way and then you you actually faced backlash yeah well you know we had a ton of support but also we um had a ton of um, not support. So I started receiving emails that were um, kind of scary. I sent them to you, right? Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. They, so they were um, racist and misogynistic. They were terrible. They were and they were threatening my business and, you know, my life. And so because of that, I had to stop. Um, I had to end, like, my porch pickups at home so people can no longer come to my house. Um, and then I was worried. And a lot of people were like, you need to contact the police. Um, but what I did do was contact some, you know, people who <laughs> could search where these messages were coming from. And like I said to you, like unofficially, we knew where they were coming from, but um, we didn't want to make, you know, make it very public. What went wrong there? Because I thought your concern was fair. This was clearly 
a couple of guys in the photo, and the implication was that they were calling over, quote unquote, skinny bitches, mm-hmm. which again, not a great look if you're trying to promote your restaurant or bar or whatever. Yeah. Where did it go wrong? Do you know what the, the, the in terms thing, of like I, I thought your concern was fair. So what what happened? My concern definitely was fair. Like that skinny bitch was to the bar and they tried to claim that it was a drink, but the drink that they had in front of them wasn't the actual drink. So whatever. They tried to really like quick talk themselves out of it. Um but the the larger issue at hand is that the Chewy's oyster bar is actually operating in the downtown east side which, as we all know, is, um, you know, Canada's poorest postal code. Um, there's so many um, issues in the downtown east side with addiction and um, violence and missing and murdered Indigenous women. And so them promoting such misogynistic ideals and thoughts is just perpetuating more of this violence against women and this is what I was trying to get across and they were just obviously attacked Mm -hmm. and so all of their like um very cool cool boys all came to their um uh, their defense and so started attacking like my followers and um it just it really really blew up where I could no longer moderate it uh, Chewy's had to like turn off their comments and it took them I think at least a week for them to actually make like any kind of semblance of an apology response which I feel like wasn't really good enough it was pretty dry it was but it was yeah. enough that I was like hey that's you know I think the point has been made um, and they made some they attempted to make some commitments to the community and uh, indigenous people and I haven't seen anything yet and I haven't followed up with them and I don't really know what's going on there, but I know one thing, I will never step foot in that establishment. We know that it's hard for women, women of color, indigenous women to speak out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where as a male, I have a lot of privilege because I myself and Kyla Lee will be on the radio on CBC and I'll look at some of the hate and it's kind of silly and I'll brush it off and then I'll see what Kyla get. Kyla is a a Métis woman. Disgusting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and I can't believe how disparate it is just between men and women in terms of like the hate that you'll get online from for having an opinion that's public. What what keeps you going to have that opinion, to be outspoken? Because I think your voice is very important and you are very articulate and both of you have a really great message that I think people need to hear. So what, what keeps you going? This is a really great question. And uh, I ask myself this sometimes too, because it is hard. You know, you see the hate mail that I was receiving, Mm -hmm. but you know what? I also receive love mail (laughs) and I I receive it from my community and the women who do feel scared to speak up and who feel voiceless and are marginalized and are who are hurting and don't actually have a platform. And so that's something that really keeps me going and keeps me fighting and <sighs> gives me fire, put some fire underneath <laughs> me to keep doing what I'm doing. But also I want to give credit to our mom who is like just gonna say the OG mom. activist. <laughs> she like, we, we, grew up going to protests and um, being part of the the community and just um, giving back and fighting. And we had any issues at school. Mom was there to like speak up because she, she grew up indigenous and she knew what it was like to be. Oh no, you will not be talking to my daughters that way. I don't care if you're her teacher or not. Right. And so are. So mom definitely, (laughs) mom definitely instilled that activist uh, fight. And that's something that really keeps us going. I love that. Well, I have to talk about your business, of course. Have we not? Not yet. (laughs) We introduced it, but but I do want to talk about it. Your products are absolutely beautiful. I was going through the website. Thank you. We brought you a little gift. A gift. Yes. See, you have to you have to bribe me before the show starts. (laughs) But I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I I was going through the website. The the products are so beautiful. You're in your third year of business now. I feel like self-care is more important than ever (laughs) with the pandemic. Like people are really focusing in on that. But this is like a a really crowded industry, right? Like self-care, beauty and wellness, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Big brands, artisan brands. So what did you sisters see was missing in this big market that you wanted to bring? Us. 
Well, aside from, aside, no, aside no. from your beautiful, strong no. sounds. <laughs> Melissa's like, yeah, I'm good now. We can just end this. <laughs> um, you know what? If we could um, rewind, not rewind, that's not right. If we could go back a little bit and talk about like how we started Sister Sage. Please. Um, so we started, like you mentioned, it was a September 2018. We're barely three years old. We're still babies in the grand scheme of business. And um, Melissa had talked about being homeless. Um, and this was the, like, she found herself pregnant and uh, facing homelessness. And that's when we really started Sister Sage. I was working in high-rise construction. I was sick of working in the kitchens. She was working I'm in kitchens. So and you know what? Both of us were in like male-dominated industries yeah. where both... We're suffering racism and sexual harassment um, and uh, violence. It was just like, it was a toxic work environment, especially yeah. for me. Um, and so we were like texting back and forth, like like literally in crisis, like we have to get out, we have to do something. I'm tired of like crying at work all the time. I can't be here anymore. And so we just, what we knew it had to be centered in, um, in our indigenous culture. Um, and Melissa, she was, um, she was making bath bombs already, like, like, just I like little like bath bombs. Like I fun. was attempting to make bath bombs. <laughs> 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 Let's face it, that they were awful. Yeah, and so we. Um, before we even started Sister Sage, I hadn't even made a single bar of soap. I didn't know how to. Um, <laughs> but I, I had en enrolled myself into a community entrepreneur program um, through the B UBC Learning Exchange um, near Maine and Hastings, and there's really where I. Um, I developed what Sister Sage was going to become and I learned about uh, business and what it was to be a business owner and the day-to-day -day tasks that we would face and, you know, research and unit economics and all of these, like, really basic things for running a business. And then I had to give a pitch at the end of it. And I was still working in construction. I'm like, I don't go in front of people and talk. <laughs> you know, I, I'm behind the scenes. I work with, like, stones and stuff. Um, so it was, like, one of the scariest times in my life but I gave a pitch and they loved it and uh, they awarded me $200 to start Sister Sage and so that was the, the very very beginning we took $200 and we reinvested that money into our business and that's where we are today and I think that um, per your question like I don't think we really realized that we were going to be up against, you know, a lot of like white cis males in this kind of a dominated industry or like an, an industry that has a lot of like heavy hitters also from a long time, have been around for a really long time. Um, the research that I did do was more for our niche, which is indigenous. And there are a couple of like really amazing other indigenous soap makers out there. And so I studied them mm -hmm. and I learned what they were doing. And I even talked to them. And one of them is now my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and we're meeting for the first time this weekend, actually. Um, uh, um, her name is Joella. She's from the Yukon Soaps Company. I think I okay. should give her a shout out. <laughs> Hi, shout Joella. Out Joella, Yukon Soaps. Um, and so that's that's really where we're finding our success is um, is not really in competition with the big brands because you know they're not they can't do indigenous wellness like we can. Mm -hmm. And so, what does that mean, indigenous wellness? Like, what are we talking about in yeah. terms of ingredients or so the process? Definitely. So, Sister Sage is an indigenous wellness brand, and what we do is we take our traditional cultural knowledge and we create handmade self care products. Um, and so, we make handmade soaps, uh, smokeless smudge sprays, bath bombs, and salves. And what we do as per our indigenous um, cultural protocol, we'll go out and culturally and ethically harvest our medicines. Um, and four of our main medicines are tobacco leaf, sweetgrass, sage, and cedar. And so we will take these um, medicines and we'll use a little bit in our products. And essentially the idea is to promote indigenous um, culture and people and highlight us in a positive way, but it's also to sneak in a little bit of education and, and our culture to, to our customers. Yeah. <laughs> like Lynn's, Lynn's full moon soaps every month has a whole meaning. Like our, mm. we have a, we have a whole calendar of um, indigenous moons, in, indigenous moons and what we follow. Okay. Cool. Right? Oh, sorry. Um, you made me nervous now. Sorry. <laughs> like speaking to the mic. Um, yeah, definitely. So like even my um, my moon soaps, it's it's yeah. sharing a little piece of what what 
you know, we would lead our lives by the moons and why certain moon was important to harvest or hunting or fishing mm-hmm. or what have you. Um, another one is like the Two-Spirit Soap, which I've really been promoting this month, uh, being Indigenous People's History Month and also um, Pride Month. Yeah. Um, and so if you go and click the link and look at my write-up, it's all about uh, what Two-Spirit means and um the history behind it yeah. and the importance of it so you I get a really that. awesome yeah. like beautiful soap but also you're like hey you get, i'm just getting <laughs> some like education and you're learning something yeah that's so cool and it's 100 percent vegan no 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 no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no I most, okay, most, most of our products most of our products okay got it. it's actually everything is vegan except for our salve which we use organic beeswax okay um i would like right, really, the bees it's the bees, bees right yeah. um but I, I, in in our research, a lot of people use um, like palm oil, which isn't vegan. I was going to ask you. So palm oil nope. isn't vegan. Well, what it's not you? because in the in the idea that it's uh, deforesting entire oh, areas, which is think about the orangutans. orangutans. But I mean, also the the entire like communities and cultures that yeah. it's right. facing. Um, and because you go hard on child slavery, you go hard on that, yeah. palm oil on your site, but I didn't realize. No, I tried to give some education on, on that. So the thing that though is palm oil, it's easy, it's easy to procure, it's cheap, um, and but it's you know it has a lot of underlying issues with it. So it's yeah. it's not. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, it's not ethical. There are a lot of like. Um, ethically sourced palm oil, but I think in my just stay away. Just stay away. Like yeah. that's that's just the, your best practice. And then the other thing I was going to bring up is that everything is biodegradable or reusable. Yeah. So definitely, we use glass. We use tins. Um, we use a, a biodegradable film. Um, and also another thing is we're trying to shift people away from using plastic bottles. Like we, we I don't, I'm sure Melissa doesn't, but I used to use plastic body, body wash bottles all the time. Since we started, I haven't bought a single body wash bottle. I don't buy shaving cream. Um, and so that's just really diverting tons of plastic from our waterways that are really, you know, we are, Melissa and I are people of the salt water. That's what our, where we come from. That's and, um, and so water is really important to us. And so we, yep. we have to do our part to protect We got to protect it. Our, our oceans and our waterways are just being so decimated by, I mean, think about it in your lifetime. How many bottles of shampoo, conditioner, mm-hmm. and body wash do you use and throw away in one single year? Now times that by... Yeah, whole like lifetime, yeah. and then times that by it's our staggering. Whole population. It's staggering. Yeah. You know, it's where, whereas you can yeah. get a bar of soap I'm that trying, has biodegradable film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make this hashtag. Um, pop, but it's totally not. Um, it's is like, it fetch? Yeah, I, I'm like, like I'm, I'm young and cool. But, um, uh, yeah, hashtag, hashtag um, let's all go to the bar. Cool. Go to the bar. Cool. I like it. Is it yeah, the bar. We can make that. We can make that work. <laughs> so people can uh, peruse and purchase your products online at sisterssage.com. But are there storefronts that carry your products as well? Um, you know, I'm very close to here on West Broadway. There's um, Salmon and Bannock. Yeah, Salmon and Bannock, which is at the moment, I believe, um, Vancouver's only Indigenous restaurant. Um, we should go there afterwards. Absolutely. <laughs> but they, so they, we create a liquid hand soap, a cedar liquid hand soap in their uh, in their in their restrooms, um, and then we they're the only place that has our like pump bottles of liquid soap that okay. you can buy. Cool. I don't know why, but I'm like, <laughs> like Inez, I love you and I love salmon and bannock. So she's like, she has the monopoly on our liquid. So. <laughs> but um, we, we're not in any stores yet. It's really hard because we, we've grown so fast, but we were so small. It's hard for me to justify selling the, a certain amount as wholesale mm-hmm. when, you know, we're, we're getting that certain amount online at full price. Right. But I I think um, there's a lot of other um, things in play here, like uh, advertising or, you know, reaching a wider audience. So I think our next one of our next steps is to really create a wholesale um, menu platform profile. Yeah. Cool. List. (laughs) Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) Lynn Marie, Melissa Ray, this was such a delight. I really do appreciate both of you opening up and talking about mm-hmm. these issues. It, it means a lot to me, and I know it's going to mean a lot to the listeners as well. Before we end, 
what is your call to action? What is your last call to action to the listener? What do you want them to do? Oh. Aside to aside from going to sisterstates.com, wow. okay. buying all the soaps. Right, of course. Um, so for, for, for me, can we have two? I don't know if Melissa has You can has have one, as many as you like. <laughs> so for, for myself, um, I just want to say that uh, Indigenous people... Um, with the induction of the Indian Act, we are, you know, legislated from participating in our own economies, uh, being forced into reservations and uh, under threat of jail time or disenfranchisement or even death. death. Um, yeah. So we were kept poor and we were kept in poverty and dependent on the Indian agents. And for us, economic reconciliation is really defining our own financial futures through business and taking back something that was taken from us. And that's entrepreneurship. Um and so what we're trying to do is really motivate and inspire other Indigenous women and used to do the same thing. And so my call to action would be for you to go out and purchase culturally appropriate Indigenous-made products and services. Um, run! Go do it now! <laughs> Melissa, do you have a call to action? Uh, just education. Yeah, educate yourself. Education, sure. you know, and also... Walking light, light-footed with our people right now. Um, mm. I am still having a really hard time uh, with this whole residential school thing, and uh, just trying to like figure out what our people have gone through. And just because it happened to them, doesn't mean it didn't happen to us. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. walk, walk light with our people and and give a little bit of understanding on where we are and why we we are hurting. Mm-hmm. Hug, your, uh, hug your babies. Hug your babies. Hug everybody's babies. <laughs> Everybody needs hugs. <laughs> I love it. And, and thank you for sharing that. I think that's an important Absolutely. message. Socially conscious, environmentally sustainable, women-led, family business, sisters, sage, Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Thanks so much for having us here. And remember to sage against the machine. Of course. (laughs) People, (laughs) go get online. Follow them on Instagram at sisters underscore sage. Then go to sisterssage.com and have a look at their amazing products. They make for great gifts, but also treat yourself. We've been through a pandemic and these products are simply top quality. I promise you. What amazing guests today. They are entrepreneurs who use traditional indigenous knowledge and ingredients to create their handmade wellness and self-care products. They are sisters, Lynn Marie Angus and Melissa Ray Angus. They are sisters sage. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.